News. WTPN, Pinellas Park. Now think about this. After years of being taught error about hating their enemies, Jesus is about to tell this very Jewish audience something they had never heard of before. Never heard of before. Something that I think must have startled them because, you know what? No religious leader had ever said to them what Jesus is about to say. A paradigm shift, as you probably know, is a fundamental change in our view of a subject. It's a phrase that arose uh, around the 1990s and quickly became one of the most overused phrases of all time. But when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, he did cause quite a few paradigm shifts in those of his listeners who really paid attention. Because what he said about the various subjects he covered was this, everything you know and your ancestors have been taught is wrong, completely wrong. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff will continue his message from the Sermon on the Mount about the way Jesus corrected centuries of Pharisaical false teaching about love. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. The people in Jesus' audience had always been taught that their job was to hate non-Jews. The Pharisees actually taught that if a Jew saw a Gentile drowning, he was not to rescue that Gentile. That's serious hatred. Let's listen as Pastor Steve continues. Now, I want us to stop here for a few minutes and consider an important truth, a very important truth about the way that the Pharisees rationalized their sinful attitude of hatred because it it has bearing upon the way that, that believers can tend to justify our own prejudice and our own hatred. The Pharisees were experts at, at hiding their wickedness by manipulating God's word. And nowhere is this more evident than in the way they, they manipulated and in, chose to interpret Leviticus 19.18 about, about love. They altered the meaning of this law to fit their, their hatred. Rather than repent, they supported their hatred by twisting the scriptures. See, these men, don't, don't think of them as great scholars who were a little bit off and just a little bit misled. These men were deeply prejudiced individuals, deeply prejudiced. Though they they wanted people to think of them as spiritual and godly, they were proud, they were judgmental, judgmental, they were spiteful, they were vengeful men who looked with disdain upon anyone who was different than they were. Remember that Jesus in the New Testament spoke about a Pharisee who went up to the temple to pray. And remember his prayer? He said, God, I thank thee that I'm not like these others, this trash over here. That was the attitude of a Pharisee. I thank you that you've made me better than other low-life people. But rather than facing their sin and humbling themselves by repenting, they, they forced the Bible to say exactly what they wanted it to say in order to justify the hatred that, that they felt in their hearts towards Gentiles. Now, you and I don't, don't need to be first century Jewish Pharisees to be guilty of the very same thing because there are many professing Christians today who try to excuse their hatred of, of others by hiding behind certain Bible verses that they have, have misinterpreted in order to justify their prejudice, wickedness. For example, there are some believers who actually try to justify their racial prejudice by appealing to certain verses found in, in Genesis concerning the curse of servanthood put upon one of Noah's sons called Canaan. And their view is this. Well, 
Canaan was, was cursed. And uh, it was, the curse was that he was to be a servant to his brothers. So, so they reasoned, well, that must mean that all uh, African black people are cursed. And that supports our view that blacks are inferior to whites. Now, what I've just told you is a very common interpretation of that. That's an erroneous interpretation. And people who hold to that without looking into that often do that to justify their hatred and their prejudice. That curse had absolutely nothing to do with black people at all. It was put upon Canaan. Canaan is the father of the Canaanites. They were Middle Eastern people. They were not black-skinned people at all. But people will use that to this day to justify prejudice. Is that any different than the Pharisees? No. And there are others who've tried to justify their prejudice by misinterpreting a verse that Paul spoke of. Paul gave in Acts 17 when he said that God has established the boundaries of people's habitations. Now, Paul did say that. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what some people have said it means. They say it means that individuals should stay in their own people group and not marry outside of their race. They said that proves it. That proves it because God has established the bounds of habitation. Listen, all that verse means is that God is sovereign in establishing the specific geographic locations of nations and people groups. It doesn't mean that people from those nations aren't free to move elsewhere. Otherwise, folks, all of our ancestors were out of God's will and coming to America. I mean, that's how absurd that is. And there are so-called... Christians, others who are so determined to continue in their hatred towards, towards other people that they will absolutely dismiss the clear teaching of Scripture about such issues as forgiving one another, loving one another, being tender-hearted and gracious towards others. They'll just dismiss it. Oh, that's not what it means. Or they'll say, it doesn't apply to me. It applies to everybody else. But no, that, that's not my situation. And there are even some Christians who think it's perfectly biblical and right to have contempt for other believers who they view as worldly because they're not as separated from the world as they are. Or because they they take a different view on, on such secondary doctrinal issues like prophecy or the mode of baptism or even the doctrine of election. People will get absolutely incensed towards others over that. And in the name of, of those doctrines or, in the, or, or contrary ones, or in the name of separation, they will dismiss many scriptures that tell us and command us to be gracious and kind, tender-hearted, affectionate towards other believers. See, th- this way of approaching scripture is really no different than the Pharisees. It's no different than the Pharisees' approach. They hated Gentiles. They were determined to find verses in the Bible to support their hatred, and they did it. Whether that's what the text meant or not, they were determined that that's what they're going to say the text meant. They did it by focusing on certain, watch this, carefully selected, out-of-context statements to the neglect of the whole counsel of Scripture. They had their proof text. They, they ignored context. They had their proof text. Now, now, don't think that the Pharisees innocently just missed the mark concerning the law dealing with love, that they just happened to, to miss something here. But they were, they were good men, and they were real scholars. No, they weren't good men, and they weren't good scholars because they, they came to the conclusion that they wanted to come to, and they, they purposefully uh, had a blind eye to, to other verses. In fact, right in Leviticus 19, there are statements in the very context that they could have seen that, that neighbor referred to 
loving others. And that's the concept. Let me show you this. Leviticus 19. Let's turn there. Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. There's no way that they could have missed this unless they wanted to miss it. And that's the point that I want you to see. They knew exactly what they were doing. Look at Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. Now, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord, your God. Now that's very interesting. This verse says that leave a little food for the stranger. Don't pick it up on the edges. Leave some for the strangers. Now the stranger meant a foreigner, meant a non-Jew. Show some love, show some compassion towards non-Jewish people. As they would come by, they can take some of your food. And notice, same chapter, Leviticus 19. Look at verses 33 and 34. It's even more pointed here. When a stranger, and a stranger means a foreigner, an alien, a non-Jewish person. When a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, meaning the Jewish person. And you shall love him as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Listen, there's no way they could have missed this. These men knew the law. These men chose to have a blindness when it came to the whole counsel of God. And you know what? There there are even other scriptures outside of Leviticus that are even more direct. I read to you Exodus 23, 4 and 5. You want to write this down. There's no way they could have missed this. Exodus 23, 4 and 5. If you meet your neighbor, your enemies, now he calls him your, your enemy. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. Doesn't sound like hating an enemy to me. Verse 5. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him, you shall surely release it with him. Help him out. Get the donkey up. Release the load. Do something kind. And you know what? There, there's no more direct, clear statement about loving an enemy than Proverbs 25, verse 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to to drink. Now, I know that the rabbis had to know that, and I know they had to know all the others too, especially this, because Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a former rabbi, Saul of Tarsus, and he even quoted from this proverb, Proverb 25, verse 21, in Romans chapter 12. So they didn't miss this. They knew this. They willfully chose to overlook these clear statements in favor of their own distorted perverted rationalizations that encourage their sin of hatred. And we have to be careful, folks, that we don't do the same thing. We have to be careful that if there's hatred in our hearts, we don't, we don't excuse it by pulling out some verses that don't mean what we think they mean. And we, we need to change. We need to repent. We need to say, Lord, in my heart, I am prejudiced. In my heart, I, I am sinful. I do hate people. I was raised that way. And it's been part of my culture and I don't want to fool myself anymore and help me to change. But don't, don't impose your view on the word of God. We submit ourselves to the whole counsel of scripture. We don't impose our views on a carefully selected 
few statements of scripture that we can twist in order to, to make the Bible say what we want it to say. Now think about this. After years of being taught error about hating their enemies, Jesus is about to tell this very Jewish audience something they had never heard of before. Never heard of before. Something that I think must have startled them because you know what? No religious leader had ever said to them what Jesus is about to say. So we move from the false view of love, which they have been taught all their lives by the Pharisees, to the truth about love as taught by the Old Testament and affirmed by Jesus. Verse 44 starts off by saying this, but I say to you, this is in contrast to what you've been taught. I'm telling you what the Old Testament has always meant by what it said. But I say to you, love your enemies. Instead of hating them, Jesus said, do the opposite. He said that we are to love them, which folks is exactly what Leviticus 19.18 meant. It's exactly what it meant because neighbor meant Anybody has a need, love them. I mean, mean, that verse, here's how twisted it is. That verse meant just the opposite of what the Pharisees said it meant. Now, this, when we read this, I don't think it strikes us with the same force that it it struck Christ's original Jewish audience because, you know what, we're somewhat familiar with the New Testament's teaching on love and and we live in in a culture that at least speaks out now against prejudice. But that wasn't true of that culture Christ's words must have sounded so radical to them. They they had never heard anything like this before. No rabbi had ever said this. No religious leader had ever said this. Love those who are antagonistic to us. Love those who hate us. What, What is this about? This is about what the Bible always had meant. But this was unheard of to them because they had been steeped in pharisaical legalism all their their lives and having been brainwashed to believe that the hatred of Gentiles was justifiable and biblically right. As I said, no religious leader had ever stepped up to the plate and told them the truth. It'd just be like, like some of us raised in homes where we've been taught some prejudiced views, brainwashed or brain dirtied to think that this is right. And then you hear the Bible says it's wrong. Who are you going to believe? You got to believe what the Bible says. Now, you know what? It's one thing to know what Jesus said. He said, love your enemies. It's quite another thing to understand what he meant by this. And even more, how to obey this command. What what do we do? Because you can be overwhelmed by this. And I'm afraid that's where many people are. They, They look at this and they say, you know what? It's impossible for me to obey. I can't love my enemies because I don't feel right towards my enemy. Well, join the club. Who does feel right towards something be a little strange about you if you had real positive, warm, fuzzy feelings about your enemies? Nobody does. Nobody does. You don't have to have the right feelings though. And and we know this because here's where we begin to understand what Jesus meant. We have to define what the word love means. Don't assume it means feelings. You see, in the Greek language of the New Testament, there are a number of words that that can be translated love in our English language, but they have different meanings. Greek is very different, at least Koine Greek. New Testament Greek is very different than English. In English, you might say, well, I love my my wife, but I also love chocolate ice cream and, and use the same word. Now, I hope you don't love your wife like you love chocolate ice cream. However... The Greek language was different, much more intricate, much more uh, detailed. And so they had various words for love that we just have a blanket 
expression say, well, love. For example, there's a word for sexual love, different than any other love, romantic sexual love. There was also a word for family love. That would be the love of, of a parent for a child, a child for a, for a parent. There's even a word for friendship love, the, the love of affection, the love of liking someone. But none of those love words were used by the Holy Spirit in Matthew 5, verse 44. The specific Greek word that the Holy Spirit chose to use in conveying the truth about loving our enemies is the Greek word, famous at least to our sound, is the Greek word agape. Agape, which is the love of action that seeks to meet another person's need. Now, did you hear that? Agape love is the love of action. It is not the love of emotion, It is the love of deliberate, determined action. There may be emotion involved, but that's irrelevant whether it is or not. That's not the primary issue of agape love. Agape love says, I will do what is best for that person, whether I feel like it or not, or whether I personally like that person or don't like that person. That's agape love. It is not a love of feeling. Now, folks, if you grasp this, you'll be liberated, liberated from the prison of thinking you can't love an enemy. Because what this means is that you can still love someone without having strong feelings of emotion and affection for them. And it's so helpful to know that God is not calling us to love our enemies in the same way that we love our family members. I mean, he, does, he loves his enemies, as we'll see, but he has a special kind of love for his people. It's not the same thing. We're not called, you, you, as I said, you, you'd, be, you'd be someone who'd be so unique. You, you would be out of the human race if you felt this way. The love you have towards a child, a love you have towards, towards a family member is not the same kind of love that God says we're to have towards an enemy because the love we have towards a family member is very, very emotional, very emotional, deep affection. But that doesn't have to be with an enemy. That's not what he's saying at all. I love what one individual said in explaining agape love. He said, don't waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor, act as if you did. It's a great statement. In other words, regardless how you feel towards someone else, act as if you had the right feelings, whether you have them or not. Do what you need to do in demonstrating love, whether you have feelings of love or not. And that's precisely the way that God's love has operated towards us. Do you realize that? That's how God loves us. Let's look at a critical passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 5. Great doctrinal passage of Scripture where the Apostle Paul is expounding the gospel and what it means to be justified by faith and explaining the death of Christ on behalf of his people. And he says in Romans 5, beginning at verse 6, For while we were still helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly meaning us. For one will hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. He said, well, it's rare. It happens. Not very often. Verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he doesn't mean that you're not sinners now. He means that you were only sinners then. You're just rebellious sinners. You hated him. And then verse 10 brings it all together. For if while we were, notice he says, what were we? Enemies. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We were once enemies. 
And God still loved us. And he, Christ expressed his love in dying for you because it's his nature to love, not because you were lovable, not because he was attracted to you because of your attractiveness. If God's love was determined by loveliness or attractiveness that he would find in, its, in the object, he would never love us. His love isn't, being, isn't based upon being loved first or else he would never love us. His love saw all the hatred, all the pride, all the lust, all the wickedness lying in our hearts. And in spite of that, he took specific action in order to rescue us from our eternal predicament. He met our greatest need, which is forgiveness of sins and his righteousness placed on our account. That's the same way in principle that we are to love our own enemies we are to take action by doing specific things for them that are in their best interests that's that's the point regardless of how you feel for example you don't have to like the person who viciously attacked you either verbally or physically to love that person and you don't have to have warm feelings towards that individual who slandered you or gossiped you gossiped about you or criticized you behind your back to love that person And you don't have to have fond thoughts of someone who has made life miserable for you. But by God's grace, you can love them regardless. If you understand that that love means that you work towards tangibly helping someone in need. If they have a need and you can meet it, you're showing love. That's that's what it's about. See, in, in loving others, the question that a believer should never ask is, whom shall we love? Rather, the question you should always ask is, how should we love? It's not whom shall we love, how shall we love? And that's precisely why the Lord goes on to give some very practical and specific ways that we can love those who are personally antagonistic to us. Notice, we continue in in verse 44. As we just uh, read before, we stopped, but let me continue. Verse 44 says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, in this statement, Jesus gives us not the only way, but but one tangible way that we can show our love for those who are enemies of the gospel and those who have persecuted us because they are enemies of the gospel and now they hate us as well. They hate us for being in Christ. This persecution can come in a number of, of forms. This persecution could come in the form of an obnoxious neighbor who's gossiped about you to others because they don't like it that you're a believer. They resent it. It could come in the form of a fellow worker who just takes delight in in verbally jabbing at, at you because of your faith, putting you down, belittling you. It could come in the form of a rebellious grown child who continues to reject everything you stand for in the gospel. Could come in that form. Could come in the form of an unbelieving spouse who just ridicules you for your faith in the Lord. And it might even come in the form of a fellow Christian who resents the way you live. Something you've done. They just resent it. Some people say that you can prove anything with statistics. I don't know about anything, but you sure can misuse them. Did you know that birthdays are good for you? Yeah, it's an undeniable fact. Those people who have the most birthdays are the people who live the longest, so they must be good for you. Well, we do the same thing when we lift verses out of their context and use them to support views that may or may not agree with God's message to us. Again and again, God tells us to love not only those like us, but also those who are different. 
and even those who hate us. I'm glad you could be here today for Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Feel free to stop in some Sunday if you're in the area. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. For directions and service times, call 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is listener-supported, and we're very thankful for those who help cover the expenses of airtime and production. If you'd like to make a gift to Verse by Verse, we make that very easy via our giving page at versebyverseradio.org. Or call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. Also at our website, we have an extensive library of previous broadcasts, and all of them are free for you to stream or download from our message archive page. Or make it even easier on yourself by subscribing to the podcast. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. It's one thing to say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's quite another to actually do that. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will get into some of the ways we can actually show love to those who hate us. We are here to give you strength between...